The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Welcome to the show and welcome to National Epilepsy Awareness Month. You know I always love November because we can talk even more about epilepsy. And as a woman living with epilepsy, to me, we have to, in the words of Greg Grumberg, talk about it. And that's what we're doing now today. You are in for a real treat. I can truthfully tell you our next guest is one of the finest human beings in America. He is so wonderful, and I'm honored, really, to have him as a friend. You're going to be honored and excited because guess what? He is the chair-elect of the board of the National Epilepsy Foundation. He is genuine. He's the real deal. I think the world of him, as you can probably tell. So, welcome to the show, Cherry-elect Dr. Brian Smith. Hi, Joyce. Thank you for that introduction. That uh, it was very nice. I really appreciate it. But it's a pleasure being on your show, uh, and as usual, it's a pleasure working with you. Well, the feeling is mutual. So, and, and I hope you all heard me say, Doctor. Brian Smith, because he is, in fact, an epileptologist and one of the finest in the United States. But, Brian, I thought you could start by telling our guests throughout the world uh, why you became involved with the Epilepsy Foundation. Sure, Joyce. Um, well, it was kind of a unusual path, but uh, in my younger years, and it became more evident as a teenager, I was having uh, some subtle seizures myself, and uh, obviously the diagnosis wasn't made very early until I had a major seizure in, in the high school parking lot. Uh, and, of course, so that kind of became my first interest in epilepsy, being a patient on that side. And then over the years, getting an idea of, you know, how it's viewed from a patient perspective, and then when I went to medical school and uh, you know, there were still issues of little funny events, which were actually seizures, but, uh, I, you know, I had a primary care physician who sent me to a psychiatrist thinking it was a, a psychiatric problem, and subsequently a diagnosis was made because there was a tumor on, on MRI. And, again, this whole idea of the perspective from the patient, from the medical student in training, and then to a physician, it clearly changed over time. My issue with getting involved with the foundation uh, there was an epilepsy specialist who wrote a series of books called Brainstorms, kind of trying to educate everybody on what epilepsy was about and patient um, stories and uh, healthcare worker stories. A whole, there's a number of different uh, books that he's done, and he asked me to write a forward for one of these books. And this is really where it kind of came to me, well, gee, is this something I wanted to talk about? Uh, because it was a personal issue, and, of course, as you well know, there's issues of stigma. 
And Steve kind of was the first one to kind of say, well, hey, this is part of our calling. And then Tony Quello, who you know quite well, uh, who was, was kind of leading that mission for a number of years, uh, we had a discussion, and uh, that kind of became part of my uh, my vision was to become more involved after interacting with a couple guys like that and, and seeing how widespread the issue was. Well, we're very thankful that you did that. I assume you're talking about Steve Schachter? Yes, I am. Yes, and he is also a wonderful person. So, yes. Steve, if you're listening, we think the world of you. Um, okay, well, one question that actually one of our listeners has sent in, and remember, everyone, if you're afraid to call, we're live on Facebook and Twitter uh, as I'm interviewing Dr. Smith, and I will try to take your questions. Uh, but we already do have one question, and that is, uh, Dr. Smith, it's wonderful what you're doing, but I'm wondering what gave you the courage to talk about your epilepsy and not be concerned it would impact your medical career. That's a good question, and it wasn't an easy decision. I remember after uh, Dr. Schechter asked me to write it, I had to actually sit down and think about it for a while because uh, not, and I have no reason to be ashamed of having epilepsy. I mean, it's it's a medical disorder, it's just like any. Any other disorder out there involves the brain, which is a little bit more complicated organ than some of the other ones when we talk about heart disease and kidney disease and so on. But you're right, it partly came back to that issue of stigma and would I be viewed in the, my professional career as not being as capable or, or able to do certain things because I had this history. And, uh, you know, there's always the question, do you want part of your personal life, including your medical history, uh, to be known by others because we're not always coming out of the closet to talk about things because we do want to keep them more personal. So, you know, and I guess part of it was as I was thinking about it, seeing what was happening with patients that I was taking care of and how they were affected by that same limited perspective or stereotype or stigma um, that others cast upon epilepsy. And, and this even included you know, when I was going through the whole medical training profession as an intern and resident and seeing how physicians reacted sometimes, they, they had limited viewpoint of the types of seizures and how they were managed and how that affected people. And I think that was really probably the main push, along with the discussions from others who have already made that push, really kind of pushed me in that direction. Well, and you know, it is hard for many people, but... Just as uh, Brian said, it's just part of who you are, not something that you have to be ashamed about. Uh, so, Brian, as a doctor with living with epilepsy, what, what are you hoping you can accomplish as our new chair? And by the way, he will be taking over next May. Well, and I'll be taking over from Joyce Bender, so it's going to really be hard to follow that uh that mission, um, but it, it's a pleasure being part of the foundation. You know, that's a, it's a challenging question, and my hope, and this kind of goes back to the basics of the foundation, is that, you know, every patient with epilepsy gets represented. They, they get the help they need, and that can come in many forms. In part, it's education. In part, it's empowerment, so they can push themselves in whatever direction uh, can help and how they're adjusting maybe in their lifestyle or pursuing their 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 um, their personal agenda when they want to work, when they want to drive, and the various things that they want to do to become independent, getting them the kind of treatment that they should be getting. 
So it's not a physician who has limited capability in managing their problem and also representing their personal rights. I mean, we don't want the discrimination that occurs in the workplace. We, they should have uh, the support. If they can't operate a motor vehicle, I mean, we've had patients who began having seizures, and unless you live in a major metropolis with uh, transportation that's readily available, you have people who are losing their jobs because they just can't even get to work. So those are a number of things, but it comes back to that every patient with epilepsy should get a helping hand, should be represented appropriately, whether they live in Idaho, New York City, Texas, or whatever. Yes, actually that is a question um, that was asked on Twitter, and that is, my question for you, doctor, is across the country, what do you do if you live in a rural area where they do not have a doctor that specializes in epilepsy? Well, that's a, that's a challenging question, and it's a good question. Um, you know, as some, a number of people who have epilepsy are very well controlled, at least half the patients are well controlled on one medication and don't necessarily need to pursue um, the uh, subspecialty areas of epilepsy specialists or comprehensive epilepsy program. But that's not going to happen for everybody. And if you're in a smaller area and you are having challenges with uh, your treatment and control of seizures, there, we need to try to coordinate somewhere where you get to a higher level uh, institution for treating your epilepsy. Um, you know, you're, if you're somewhere in the, out there what doesn't have the transportation and is not nearby one of these centers, you do face an additional challenge. This is one of the things we should look at is how do we get people like you to these places without incurring a huge cost or whatever. You, you deserve that, that right. Yes, and I mean, I don't know what to say in that case. Of course, I would suggest you go to epilepsyfoundation.org and try to find out the closest uh, epilepsy affiliate to where you live. But, you know, if you if I had ongoing seizures that could not be controlled, I probably would make the drive, no matter what, what it would take. I'd try to drive uh, to the closest place I could find with a doctor that specializes in epilepsy. I mean, f- you know, sometimes in life you've got to do these things. I realize that's hard, but... Um, I don't know, Brian. I can't think of anything else. Can you? Well, Joyce, you're right. I mean, and that's what a lot of people have done. And, you know, it's not necessarily that you're going to have to make that drive every time. That initial drive for that first appointment, I had a young lady who came from Iowa, and it was an eight- to nine-hour drive. But we got her, her story. We reviewed where she had been, and we got on a treatment plan that actually is working. And pretty much everything we've done since then, of course, has been by telephone. Um, so, yeah, no one wants to do an eight-, nine-hour drive uh, on any regular basis, but at least that initial visit may be a major spark plug in getting down the right road. All right, and with that, we're going to get ready to go to break. But since it is National Epilepsy Awareness Month, I want to tell you, and I'll tell you again, to go to www.getseizuresmart.org. That's getseizuresmart.org. Org. This is one of our national campaigns where you can learn about seizure, seizure recognition 
and first aid by taking an interactive quiz on our site that's going to teach you about epilepsy. It takes a very short time. Again, getseizuresmart.org. And with that, this is Joyce Bender, a woman living with epilepsy, at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with Dr. Brian Smith, chair of the National Foundation. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darlings, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back. We are celebrating... National Epilepsy Awareness Month on our show this month. As you know, all of our guests have related to epilepsy. And today, get ready. See, you're having the first viewing, the premiere of the next chair of the board of the National Epilepsy Foundation, Dr. Brian Smith. And, Brian, I wanted to ask you a question. As you well know, especially as a doctor specializing in epilepsy, You know, not everyone is like me. My epilepsy, although I've still had breakthrough seizures a few over the past few years or an aura, which really is a seizure, um, it's still, it's pretty much controlled, just as it is with other people you know very well where their epilepsy is pretty much controlled through medication, uh, surgery, or whatever it is. However... There are children that have hundreds of seizures per day, which is so hard for me to even 
envision that um, because I always say one a year is too much, let alone having that many. Uh, but that just proves that there's sort of like a wide spectrum, especially in seizure frequency and control. And I wondered if you could explain that to our listeners. Yeah, Joyce, you, you bring up a really good point when we talk about spectrum because there are a lot of people when they think of epilepsy, they have one preconceived idea because of someone they knew in the family or a friend and how well they were controlled or not controlled, but it's really a very, very wide spectrum. If we're talking, you know, around 3 million people in the United States who have epilepsy, they are placed all along that spectrum. So at one end, you have the very benign forms of epilepsy where patients are easily controlled on one medication, and there are some who have uh, types of epilepsy that really don't even need to be treated with medication at times. So those are the very benign forms. And then you mentioned at the opposite end, you know, the, the, the small child who's having hundreds of seizures a day, which can affect their, their actual development, their ability to learn, their ability to uh, socialize and develop as a normal child. So we do have epilepsies that are considered almost catastrophic, that if we don't intervene very early and very aggressively, it's really going to affect their life significantly long-term, where they won't be able to function independently. Uh, right now, we look at probably two-thirds of the patients with epilepsy can be fairly well controlled on medication. It's that other third that are very refractory that can be very severely affected by their seizures and some of the neurologic problems that come from that. We're lucky right now in that the Institute of Medicine has just announced recently that a major study that's going to be looking at the epilepsy world here in the United States to really give us a better idea about that spectrum and some of the things we can do to really help out the process. Well, you know, I just say to everyone, it's just as he said, it's not just one thing. Just as it's not just one type of seizure. Um, and we'll even talk about that in a little bit. But right now, I think we have a caller on the line. Hello. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing fine, Joyce. How are you? Oh, this is uh, Judy Painter, who is the fantastic executive director of the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Central PA. How, how are you, Judy? I'm doing very well. How are you doing, Joyce? Good, good. And Dr. Go Brian ahead. Smith, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Judy? I'm doing very well. Great. But I've, I've been listening to you from uh, the beginning of the show. And so interesting because, you know, some of the things you were talking about uh, today is just sort of like a, a small encapsulation of, you know, uh, dealing with people with epilepsy day from an affiliate's perspective. Uh, and hopefully that people will get in touch with affiliates. But we had a mother call today and talk about her daughter, Maddie. And Maddie is really upset. You know, she has epilepsy, and she's this wonderful girl, and and she's nine years old. And, you know, she just doesn't understand why everywhere she goes, people are raising for money for everything else besides epilepsy. So she got her own can and, you know, put out, you know, de decorated and everything. So every family function she goes to, she pulls out the can, and everybody has to donate to the Epilepsy Foundation. Oh, that, how, how old is she? She's nine, and she goes wherever she goes. When she meets people, she's very outgoing. She goes, hi, my name is Maddie, and I have epilepsy. Wow. But on the other end of the spectrum, I wrote a sympathy, sympathy card uh, oh, to no. parents uh, of a 19-year-old girl who passed away. 
So there is such a wide spectrum. So you have those wonderful stories, and then on the other hand, you're writing sympathy cards uh, to parents and you know husbands and and other people uh, of people who are taken away much too early. And so many people think that no one dies because of seizures, and and we know that that isn't true. Um, but uh, that's probably that wasn't exactly what I was going to talk about because when you were talking about uh, the fact that you know so many people are living in rural areas and are not uh, do not have the ability to visit someone like you, although you know if they're willing to drive eight hours, what effect do you think telemedicine is going to have on people with epilepsy in the future? Well, that's that's a great question, Judy, and I, I, I hope it's a very beneficial effect. I mean, if you think a big part of the problem that patients face is not understanding their illness or their disorder, right. not understanding the treatment options, not understanding that that one drug that they're on high dose is giving all these side effects is not really the end point or the appropriate place for their treatment uh, protocol to stop. So I think it would be key uh, in, one, educating so patients understand where they should be looking, what questions they should be asking, and where they might be going to really get to where they want to be. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I've seen some things that they're, they're absolutely amazing, but you know, I, I, I'm, I wasn't sure what the costs were that were involved with that sort of thing, but I, I really do. I mean, people just are absolutely lost when they're first diagnosed, and they don't even know the questions to ask. You know, they, they just don't know. You know, people think that you, if you give them people information that that's enough, but they're just left with, you know, the, you know, stigma that, that people hear. You know, if they hear the word epilepsy and they think of people in helmets and, and people falling down, and, and certainly there's a small population of those people. And just as, you know, everyone is not like you and Joyce and, and Tony and everyone else who who have, you know, where seizures haven't really affected their developmental uh, part of their life. Um, but uh, I thank you for everything that you two are doing and, and look forward to you being chair and, and, and having Joyce back in my life. <laughs> yes, that, I, I can understand that. But, Judy, we are still going to be using you to be an integral part of, of, of change, and that change is to get to our mission um, of everybody with epilepsy being uh, touched by what we can do for them. Uh, and I'm sure everyone in the country will help and look forward to sharing all of that with, with both of you. I know that Joyce's job isn't totally done, but I know that you get to be the face of the Epilepsy Foundation and, you know, um, we'll try to protect you as much as we can, Brian, but you know, let's, <laughs> Judy can tell you that's not always easy to do. Thanks a lot, Judy. Okay, you hey, care. Judy, thank yes. you for the good work you're doing. Okay, thank you for the good work you both do. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye. And, and just so you know now, we have great people like Judy Painter, uh, across the United States, working in different cities. These are the affiliate offices where you go and get support and get help. Again, wherever you live, if you go to epilepsyfoundation.org, you can find out the name of the affiliate in your area, and, and that will help you so much. It really will. Providing that support to you is so important. Um, and, Brian, I know you will work well with all the affiliates. Well, and um, I mean, you've you've done a great job in getting them on board and improving the communication, and I'm excited about carrying that forward. 
Hey, I wanted to um, ask you a question, Brian. Would you mind just for a minute describing for our listeners the different types of seizures? Well, um, to be relatively brief and hopefully not too complicated, you know, if we view a seizure as an electrical short circuit of the brain, we typically uh, put them into two categories, one being partial seizures um, where the short circuit is actually starting in one specific area of the brain, and then there's also the generalized seizures where the whole brain short circuits at once. Where it can get complicated is a seizure that starts in one area of the brain can spread quickly to the whole brain and look like a generalized seizure from the get-go. So um, short of doing an EEG sometimes, a a brainwave uh, test where you're actually recording what's changing in the brain, sometimes it's hard to tell. Um, But just briefly, if you look at the partial seizures, the seizures that start in one part of the brain, you can have one, uh, a seizure that starts in just a small region and doesn't spread and gives you a funny feeling. Uh, we call it an aura. And that's actually a seizure, but that's all that happens. There's no loss or alteration in consciousness. Uh, you can have the funny feeling that then spreads enough where you have a patient or a person who's staring and seems unresponsive and may have some unusual movements. They don't go to the, fall to the ground and lose consciousness, but they're not completely with the program. That's called a complex partial seizure. And then again, a seizure that starts in one area and then spreads to the whole brain is a partial seizure that then is what we call secondary generalized. It'll look very much like a grand mal seizure. That's the old term we use, but uh, it doesn't start in the whole brain at once. It just starts in one area. Uh, and then briefly on the generalized side where you don't get a warning, you can have what we used to call the petite mal seizure or what we, is now called an absent seizure where all of a sudden it's like someone switching the light on and off very quickly. You could be in the middle of the sentence and stop talking and then you pick up right thereafter in two to three seconds. There's a, a seizure called the myoclonic seizure, which is a brief jerk. And then there's the major grand mal seizure or what we call a generalized tonic-clonic seizure where the whole brain is short-circuiting at once. Finally, there's a a couple other seizure types that fall into the more severe syndromes, um, which we call tonic and atonic seizures, where without warning someone can lose their ability to stand or they get stiff all of a sudden and fall to the ground very hard and may hurt themselves. These are the type of seizures we call tonic or atonic that sometimes require protective helmet or some other protective device because of the recurrent injury. Which is what happened to me. Yeah, well, anytime you have, uh, you know, I would guess what your, yours was was a partial seizure that rapidly spread to a, a generalized seizure, and you, went, you can go quickly to ground that way. Um, you know, and hit all, I, all I meant is I do not have a convulsion. Right. Or, or is that part of tonic-clonic seizures that some people don't have a convulsion? Yeah, sometimes it can be a part of that, that uh, area where it's partial and does spread, but there, the convulsive por- portion of it is quite limited. So, um, you know, you can, you can get something that looks very similar from one type to the next. A lot of it depends on where that short, short circuit starts and how it spreads. Well, as you can see from listening to him, there are so many types of seizures. That's why everyone, when they think of a seizure, they think of fall to the ground, have a convulsion. But there are so many other types that people have even more frequently, such as, as he talked about, the absence seizure or the 
complex partial seizure. There are many types of seizures. So that's why if you uh, are having even the jerk he talked about, whatever it is, if you know, wait a minute, this isn't right, this isn't normal, what is this, go to a doctor and find out if you can go at least to a neurologist. But if possible, if you can get to a doctor that specializes in epilepsy, that part would be even better. I know it's hard to do that, but isn't it true, Brian, there are people with epilepsy that sometimes don't get to a specialist for years of, of their life? Yeah, sure. They're, unfortunately, because of either where they live or the discussions they've had with their physician, there isn't this realization that once you um, have gotten to a point where you are not made seizure-free or you're having significant side effects from your medication, that you should be passed on to a higher-level subspecialist. I mean, the definition for someone being a refractory or medically resistant is failure of two drugs, and that's when someone should go to a comprehensive epilepsy center with specialists, yet there's a number of physicians who will try seven, eight, nine different medications, either alone or in combination, before that patient makes it to one of these specialty centers. And that's unfortunate because some of the options that are available for the, those refractory forms of epilepsy are best pursued earlier than later. All right. Well, listen, we've got a lot more to talk about, but right now we're going to get ready to go to break. If you just joined us, you're listening to Dr. Brian Smith, chair-elect of the board of the National Epilepsy Foundation. He is a champion. Also, don't forget, go to GetSeizureSmart.org. If you want to learn about epilepsy, go take that interactive quiz GetSeizureSmart.org. We'll be right back. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters on VoiceAmerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darlings, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than three million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Welcome back. Welcome to National Epilepsy Awareness Month on the show with Dr. Brian Smith, Medical Director at the Comprehensive Epilepsy Program for Henry Ford Hospital, and soon will be chair next year of the board of the National Epilepsy Foundation. Um, and Brian, one question that many people ask me, I mean, I've, I think I've heard this question more than any other question, is what causes epilepsy? A people, Especially people that you know, just start getting this um, at a young age or old, whenever, older age, what, what causes epilepsy? Well, it's a great question, Joyce. You know, there's many causes. If we, if we look at epilepsy, epilepsy being recurrent seizures, seizures are, are kind of the result of like a brain injury or a brain scar. And so when you think of it in that context, then you can think of a lot of things that may cause seizures. Uh, when your mother's carrying you in the womb and there's, uh, let's say there's some complication and the brain doesn't develop like it's supposed to. It can be a very subtle abnormality that can end up causing seizures later in life. A problem during delivery, a complicated complication at delivery can cause it. High fever seizures, high fevers as a baby which cause seizures can result in a a scar that develops into epilepsy. Uh, Brain infection like meningitis or encephalitis can cause scarring. Head trauma can cause scarring. uh, Stroke, uh, as we get older, if we suffer a stroke or if we develop a brain tumor, those can also cause it. Now, the thing is, there are a lot of people who just develop this uh, at a younger age, and we don't know why. Well, a big, another big reason could be what gets passed on genetically. Is there a trait that got passed on in the bloodline? Sometimes that's very straightforward because my, well, my mom had epilepsy and my grandmother had epilepsy, but other times we don't know why. And most people feel that probably a lot of these cases where we don't find the answer of why someone has developed seizures is something has happened in the genetic code, whether that was passed on or whether there was a change when that person was born, that may be the case. We're just starting to dive into those areas to find out some of those answers. Yeah, which means there can be many causes, apparently. Sure can. Yeah, many causes. So... Um, this is not something that's easy to answer, but again, the more you educate yourself, the better you're going to feel about this. I, I can truthfully tell you that. Uh, and Brian, I want to make sure we have time to talk about this. One thing I wanted to talk about was medication switch, switching for our listeners, and um, I thought maybe you could just give them a little bit of information about what you think it's important for them to know. 
Sure, Joyce. Well, this is a big issue, at least in the epilepsy world, and I know I see it as a clinician, and obviously there are a number of families and patients out there who have had this issue. And let me start by saying the majority of patients most likely have switched from a brand to a generic without a problem. So this is by no means a sweeping generalization that generics are bad because right now if I see a new epilepsy patient and I start them on a medication, I would have no problem starting them on a generic medication if their pharmacy or their health insurer can guarantee me that they're going to stay on that same generic. Part of the problem is when the FDA approves a generic medication for epilepsy, it's very limited testing and they're they're really checking blood levels of the the new generic to the brand name. So we have some information on that switch. Unfortunately, that testing really doesn't look at what happens to the patient seizure-wise because the people who are involved in those studies don't even have epilepsy. They're normal volunteers, and they try one pill of this and one pill of that, and then they get their blood work. The bigger problem and the concern that we all see is actually switching from one generic to another Uh, Because if you look at how these medications are approved and what happens with their blood levels, you can actually even have a more dramatic change in your blood level going from one generic preparation to another. Unfortunately, you're not provided any of this information. Um, And if anything, you've been basically told through commercials and through the pharmacist that generics are exactly the same and there's not a reason for concern, which is actually not the case clearly for some patients who have had this problem when they've switched from one to another. So uh, the problem for patients and families is they're in a situation where, you know, their insurer will say, sure, we'll give you the brand name, but instead of that $30 to $40 copay, we're going to charge you $400 per month. And they're really left in a position where they have no choice but to change. It would be great if we could guarantee that they were once they made the change, they would be on that same generic preparation But there's nothing that I can do as a physician right now, like put on the prescription DAW dispense as written, that doesn't hold for generic preparations. And when pharmacies go out at the end of the month and they have a buyer who is really not clinically involved in patient care who finds the 12 companies making the generic and says, okay, who's cheapest this month? That's what we're going to buy. That's where our patients are running into problems. So what can you do then? How could you, you know, if someone goes to a pharmacy and, you know, how would they find that out, that they've been switched from one generic to another? Well, it's not so easy because, first of all, some of the seizure medications have 14, 16, 17 generic preparations, and some of the pills look very similar. So they look on their pill bottle and it has the chemical name of the drug. Well, what they need to look even closer for in small print should show who the manufacturer is. And if they're on one generic, the hope is that they'll be maintained on that same generic. Obviously, if they've been switched from brand to generic, it's going to go from the brand name to the generic or chemical name on their pill bottle, and they should be able to tell that. Um, So, one, they need to try to monitor the best they can and talk with their pharmacist to say, hey, I don't want to be switched from one formulation to another. Another issue in some cases, the physician, the insurance companies have talked to us and we've talked to them, and they require a letter from the physician stating why they don't want them changed. And we provided that, and in some cases that's been successful, in other cases it's not done. All right, so I would say you've got to ask this question. 
And if, by the way, if you start having breakthrough seizures, you definitely need to ask this question. If you go to epilepsyfoundation.org, we do have information about medication switching. But listen, don't be afraid to ask. Remember, the pharmacist is not your doctor. So don't be afraid to ask. Don't just go along with the program. Speak up. You are your best advocate. You really are. And there are a lot of great things going on for the future. We don't have the cure for epilepsy, but there is a lot of research going on. Um, And, Brian, I thought maybe you could share with us what some of the newest research initiatives are in, in epilepsy. Sure, I can, Joyce. And just one other comment from our previous discussion. Um, and this, uh, there are a number of pharmacists out there who are key and very helpful to our patients. And this, so that discussion wasn't, uh, they are part of our team. The issue is they're not the ones out there buying the new uh, stack of generic supplies in most cases. You know, this is being done by other people who really don't have the clinical interaction with the patients, and the pharmacists are left of providing the medications that are on on their shelves. So um, our hats off to our pharmacists who are, who are part of that team and helping our patients. To the research end, there's a number of things going on. Uh, we talked previously about uh, genetic testing or sometimes referred to as genomics. We're trying to identify not only things in our genetic makeup that will help in the diagnosis of what type of epilepsy, but also is there something when we draw blood that will give us information on not only what type of epilepsy, but what drug is most likely to work as opposed to how we presently have to do it as kind of trial and error where we introduce a drug and then see how things happen. There's a number of uh, treatments that are getting further investigated um, from things such as deep brain stimulation, where we're stimulating certain parts of the brain repetitively. Patients are aware of this all started back in the, in the late ni- 90s with the vagus nerve stimulator, but now we're actually going to techniques where we're stimulating the brain directly, and there's two studies that have been completed, um, and uh, at least one remains to be F- FDA-reviewed. Uh, some other areas are uh, there's some studies being done um, in animals looking at uh, cooling parts of the brain to stop seizures or delivering medications specifically to the area of the brain that causes seizures as opposed to just taking the medication and getting the generalized effects all over the brain. Is there a way to get the medication directly to that area? There is... Uh, forms of radiosurgery or radiation to an area of where seizures are coming from that's being tested potentially as a treatment option. And then finally, there's a number of scientists out there who are trying to develop formulas where you actually can predict where seizures are going to occur. Um, one of the major problems with having seizures is they, you can be fine 29 out of 30 days of the month, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, without warning, you have that one seizure in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that can have a major impact on your life for months and years to come. So those are some of the areas that are getting research. There's also a little bit going on with dietary therapies, um, looking at low glycemic index foods and a modified Atkins diet. We all have had experience with the ketogenic diet. So important, change, important advances and research that is going on. And that is so exciting. It, it really is. There are a lot of great things going on. We're not there yet, folks, but we're working on it. Right now, we're going to go to break, 
If you just joined us, we are celebrating National Epilepsy Awareness Month with Dr. Brian Smith. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be back with Brian to end the show. the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your question that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com hi i'm greg grumberg from the tv show heroes One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Marsh Engel Show. Join the movement to empower yourself with the essentials of feminine power and success and learn how women around the world are becoming more inspired, more influential, and absolutely amazing. Each week, Marsh sits down for an engaging conversation with women who are boldly committed to living their most amazing life. You'll discover ways to step into your greatest vision, deepen your relationships, and unleash your real creative brilliance. Get ready. It's time to jump into the conversation. That's Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern for The Marsh Engel Show on the Voice America Business Network. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Welcome back. We are on National Epilepsy Awareness Month, and we have as our guest today Dr. Brian Smith, Medical Director of the Comprehensive Epilepsy Program at Henry Ford Hospital and the Cherry Luck. That means next year in May, I'll be passing on the gavel to Brian Smith as our new chair and he will be phenomenal. And everyone listening to the show today, I want you all to be very supportive of him because he can take us to another level. He's really a great person. And, Brian, I wanted to ask you about the National Youth Council. As you know, that's been very important to Tony and to me um, and, of course, to Steve. But I, I wanted to see your feelings about, about the National Youth Council. 
Well, I, I think it's been great. I mean, Tony had had a vision here that I think a lot of us really didn't appreciate when we were working on correcting problems with stigma. You know, uh, a lot of it was directed towards, you know, the typical adult population. And, you know, we found out that it was very difficult to change the con- concept in in the a mind of some of those who are elderly who lived with us for years, but really where the major thrust should be, and Tony was correct on this, is with with younger people because, one, they don't know what that stigma was, and if we get to them right from the beginning, there's not going to be that. They're going to understand the disorder. They're going to understand how that affects their friends, their brothers, their sisters, and they can be a, a positive advocate for that um, to eliminate that whole issue of stigma. So I think it's been great, uh, and it was, a, it was a great vision by Tony to start that process. Yes, and, and I agree with you. And you know, for all of the young people involved with the Epilepsy Foundation, we are behind you 100%. We really are. Uh, and, Brian, how about working with the affiliates across America? I know you have a good relationship already with me, many people, but what are your plans there? Well, we've got a, a, a great network with the foundation. I mean, the affiliates throughout the country, these are some great workers, great volunteers, um, and they need to have their voices heard. They need to be an integral part of the, the, the big process. And really, what is our mission? Our mission is to identify and help every epilepsy patient out there, and they're key to that because it's their hands that they're touching. Um, they're not touching... Uh, the hands of those in Washington, D.C., they're touching directly the hands of our affiliates, both the workers and volunteers. So we need to, we need to maximize their efforts. You know, there's issues that some things are duplicated, works are duplicated, some costs that maybe we can make some changes to help everybody where we can reach out to even more people than we can now and, and use that, those special uh, talents that these people have uh, to really maximize the mission. Well, and I know you will, and I know the affiliates will be supportive. And once again, that is what we call the offices in each state, each city. You can go, like here in Pittsburgh, to the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Central PA, you know, where there's a group of people to provide support and education for you. Um, And that's what we refer to as our affiliates um, and the executive directors there are fantastic. I just came back from San Francisco um, from Neva Hirschkorn's event, and it was outstanding. It, it really was uh, a great event. Uh, well, Brian, we have a last question here for you before I, I ask you your two last questions from a listener, and that is, uh, Dr. Smith, when you are dealing with people with epilepsy, do you ever have to consult the parents if, in fact, they have a problem that their child has epilepsy? Yes. Um, there, there's no question that, you know, part of how someone does both short-term and long-term really is in, uh, definitely connected to the, the loved ones around them, family members. And if there's a disconnection in not only understanding the diagnosis, but what are the causes and what are the concerns and what are the restrictions and the issue of stigma, yes. I mean, um, sometimes whether that has to be talked about as a group or independently, it does have to happen sometimes. And I would hope as a parent that you would remember 
when you act like it's a secret as a child, that's really saying there's something wrong with you. So don't do that. Right. Um, Brian, you are obviously uh, very accomplished. You're a doctor. You're well-respected nationally. But if you had to choose one thing, what would, what would you say has been your greatest accomplishment? Well, uh, you know, from working with the foundation and I guess nationally has been the, all the attention at least that we finally have gotten focused on the formulation substitution issue that not all changes in medication for epilepsy patients are the same clinically for them and that that carries a significant risk for some patients so i think that's probably been the major one but what i don't want to belittle um i mean when i look at personally the kind of clinical work that i do is it may sound very minimal when we compare it to national events and what happens with patients who become seizure-free from brain surgery and all that. But if you look at patients who come in for that first visit and they've gone 10, 15 years under the idea that this one drug they've been on is really their only option and the side effects that they have suffered for 10 years, that's just the way it is. And to educate them and make them realize there's so much more for them out there, that's probably what I consider probably one of the biggest accomplishments is educating patients like that. And that you have done a great job with. Hey, folks, he educates everyone, including me. So just so you know, he really takes that seriously. And I must tell you, he has time for everyone. He really is a wonderful person. So, Brian, if you had to leave today a message with our listeners, what would it be? Well, you know, epilepsy is not a bizarre, ghoulish disorder. You know, it's a basic injury to an organ and an important organ, which is the brain. It can be mild. It can be severe. But it, we have to remember it can occur with any one of us. And, you know, you can be a very normal person involved in a motor vehicle accident with, some, uh, uh, with a head injury that you appear to have recovered from, but then seizures begin. So we just have to keep a very open mind of what epilepsy is, who's potentially at risk, and hopefully we can get more people to join the fight and the mission uh, to find a cure, to do further research, and make the lives of epilepsy patients improved. And I can tell you that the two of us are committed to doing everything we can in America to further quality of life, research, whatever it is for people living with epilepsy. We really are committed, and we will keep moving forward. Um, and one thing you can do is go to GetSeizureSmart.org, take that interactive test I told you about, and you will learn so much about epilepsy. Uh, well, Brian, first of all, thank you with your busy schedule for being with us today. Thanks, Joyce. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you very um, much. And you know we end the show with a quote from a civil rights leader, someone that hasn't had an impact, and today that person is going to be Greg Grumberg, who said about epilepsy, epilepsy does not define us. And, Greg, thank you for everything you're doing for us. This is Joyce Bender a woman living with epilepsy, celebrating National Epilepsy Awareness Month on voiceamerica.com, where disability matters. See you next week.
Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.